So this last week, I'm, I'm in a meeting with a Messianic rabbi, and I said, hey, this weekend I'm preaching Genesis 28. He said, tell me you're going to play Stairway to Heaven on stage. And I said, yeah, we actually are. And so he said he would tune in. So Rabbi Bruce, I'm glad you're out there watching, buddy. I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, they also told me they could do Highway to Hell if they wanted uh, to play that. Um, interestingly enough... In the words, because I read the words, because I, I wasn't going to have them play a song that there were bad words in. And if you know the song, it's about a lady who's trying to buy heaven here on earth. She sees everything that glitters is gold, and she's trying to buy heaven. But Robert Plant wrote a line in the third verse that says, Sooner or later you come down to two roads, and you have to make a choice. Now, Robert Plant's by far not a Christian. And I don't think he had any idea what he was talking about. But that is the core of what we're talking about today. There is a stairway to heaven. We're going to talk about that. There's also a highway to hell. That's in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14. Jesus said, broad is the way and many are on it. The road that leads to destruction, narrow is the road and few find it who lead to life. So there are two roads and there is indeed a stairway to heaven in Genesis chapter 28. Now, before we dig in, I got one more thing. Thank you guys so much. We had, I don't know, at least 300 people there from Tomoka at the ball game Friday night. What a blast we had. A few thousand dollars were spent at the concession stand to bless all the kids. Uh, you guys were so, so great. It was a fun night. How many of you were there? How, yeah, good group from every service uh, was there at the game. We had a lot of fun, blessed a lot of kids. Uh, just, just really had a good time. What you guys might not have known, uh, the umpires there, not just minor league baseball, but major league umpires too, are really upset right now because when a player's making $240 million, the umpires want a cut of that. They're like, why aren't, why aren't we making more money? Which, you know, I guess they have a point. And they said that if they don't get what they've demanded, they're going to call a strike. Did I tell you I have a free book for you guys? <laughs> okay, so let's talk about this. So Jacob, we've, we've, we've backed the story up. So Abraham is called by God and told that God's going to bless him, make his descendants as many as the sand on the seashore, many as the stars in the sky. Now we're going to get a third statement, as much as the dust is on the earth. And Abraham has Isaac. Isaac has Jacob. And then last week we talked about God sending Jacob from his hometown to find a wife. And Rebecca, his mother, said, whatever you do, you cannot take a Canaanite wife. We cannot have in the line of the promise somebody who sacrifices their children to the fire, somebody who worships idols and pagan gods. We've got to get a godly wife for Jacob because his children are going to be the ones that lead to the Messiah. So we have to do this right. So Jacob lives with Abraham and, or with Isaac and Rebekah down in Beersheba. So at the very bottom of Israel in the desert. And Haran is up here. Then it was Syria. Today it's modern day Turkey. So we're going from here 
to here, okay? Now let me show you what Beersheba looks like today. It is a huge metropolis. Uh, this is what the city itself looks like. It's a, it's a huge uh, industrial banking, all kinds of stuff going on there. And here's where what it looked like when Abraham and Jacob were there. This The ancient city is just north of the modern city of Beersheba. So Jacob is going to, on his way from the south to the north. That's the story we're going to cover today. So if you'll stand out of respect for God's word, we shall dig in. So Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night. Pay attention to that. Because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father, Abraham, the God of Isaac. I will give you your descendants, the land on which you are lying. So you land down sleeping. Your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out to the west and the east and the south and the north. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you, the Messiah's coming, through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised for you. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place. And I was not aware of it. He was afraid and he said, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Early the next morning, Jacob took the stone that he placed under his head and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. He called that place Bethel, which means place of God, though the city used to be called Luz. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. You can be seated. There is so much here that I don't know how we'll do, but we're going to do our best to pack it in. So Jacob is on his way to find a wife up in Turkey. He makes it a day's walk. Sun goes down. Where is he? This was my question. Where is he? I can answer that for you. He is on Mount Moriah. Jacob is in that same holy site. What happened on Mount Moriah? Well, that is the place where God actually created Adam. It's where God breathed into Adam and made him a life-giving being. It is the spot where we looked at in Genesis 14, where uh, Melchizedek, the high priest, the king of Salem, the king of peace, it was probably Jesus in the flesh, had the first temple on earth. It's called Temple Zero, built right there on that spot. It is the spot where Abraham will sacrifice Isaac and then God delivers him. It is the spot where Jesus will be crucified. When Jesus ascended into heaven, yeah, same place. Jesus said, when I come back, I will come back to the 
same place. And in 22 places in your Bible, feel free to check me out, 22 places in your Bible said God dwells in Jerusalem. God lives on that mountain. Now, he told Solomon, he said, you can't contain me. Because Solomon's like, I'm going to build you a temple and you can live here. God's like, yeah, I'm bigger than the whole universe. No, you're not going to contain me. But he said, my spirit dwells here in Jerusalem. It makes a little bit of sense, doesn't it? So Jacob is on that very spot where Adam was created, where Jesus is going to be crucified. And it's at that spot that he sees heaven opened up. Now, I was always kind of taught that this was kind of like a ladder. That's a really bad picture. Imagine the golden staircase on the Titanic, except maybe a million times wider. And angels going up and down, people going up and down, souls going up and down. 179,000 people a day die. So souls going up, souls going down, all kinds of things happening. This is what Jacob sees. And Jesus talks about it in John 1.51. Here's what Jesus said, get out of the way. He then asked, I tell you the truth, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, on him. He said, you will see it happen yourself. You will see the stairway to heaven. This is crazy stuff. Now, I know what you're asking next. You're saying, Joe, what do you know about that rock that Jacob slept on from 4,000 years ago? Oh, that's a good question. What if I told you we know where the rock is? This is a crazy story. If you'd like to spend a few decades of your life researching it, you go right ahead. Rumor has it, through some of the Crusades, uh, they, had, they had kept the rock. Obviously, it was a special rock. It was set up because Jewish people used rocks as monuments. All right. When Jacob, uh, when Joshua crossed the Jordan River, what did they use? Rocks. He said, set up these rocks. So when your children ask, hey, what, what are these rocks about? You get to tell them the whole story of God all over again. So Jacob sets up a rock, anoints it with oil. So, you know, maybe it stands up like this. I, I don't know. Did he stack some up? I don't know. But apparently it was well known. And somewhere during the, the, I don't know, seventh, eighth century, Somebody got their hands on it. I'm just telling you the story that I know. And it ended up in Scotland in the castle in Edinburgh because they wanted the blessings of the house of God. So I've been in the castle of Edinburgh and I have seen said rock. And let me show you where it is now. Uh, this is the coronation chair for the king or the queen of England. Now, the Scot Scottish people don't exactly like the English people, all right? Just, there's been a little stress there for, I don't know, 800 years. Um, but for Coronation Day, the Scottish people allow the Stone of Jacob to be brought to London, and they put it inside the uh, chair that the king is going to sit on to be anointed king. I know what you're saying. When King Charles got anointed, did they bring the stone Then they took it back to the castle in Scotland after it was over. Now, what is the significance of all this? Well, it's not the rock. It's not the stone. I just tell you that to give you the big picture of what's going on. But Jacob realizes that there is a stairway to heaven, and it changes his life. 
when he realizes that God has allowed him to see how things really work in the spiritual world. See, we like to pretend that, you know, we're all there is, but there's things around us everywhere. I mean, there's all kinds of things we can't see, but there's angels and demons and, and there's the spirit world. We can't see the wind either. I mean, there's a whole lot of things that you and I can't see that are real out there around us. But God allowed Jacob to see this again, because Jacob is the child of the promise and he wants him to understand what is at stake. And heaven has been open to men. Pay attention. We didn't build. We tried. Remember when we tried to build the uh, the Tower of Babel? We tried to get up to God and God said, hey, I don't think so. But God lowered the stairway from heaven to earth. That's the whole story of Jesus. It's the whole story of the cross. That God would make the connection between heaven and earth. And one day, we either go up or we go down. You you get to make a choice. And I'm sorry that you've been lied to. And there's a bunch of pastors out there teaching this stuff. That, well, maybe you're just not one of the special people. Maybe you're just not chosen. Maybe you're not just elect. That's baloney. That is absolute baloney. John 3.16, for God so loved who? The whole world. Second Peter 3.9, God's will is that none should perish. Okay, so God said, my goal is that no one should perish, but Joe, you're going to hell. I've already decided it. That would be very contradictory to God, wouldn't it? No, that's man-made theology. Jesus paid the price for all of us. I don't care where you've been, what you've done, how you did it, how long you did it. The blood of Jesus is available for to save sins for all of us. That's the whole point. And that's what Jacob gets to experience when he sees, when he sees this ladder, realizing that heaven is available for all people. But I'm amazed at what goes on in our culture to try to blind people's eyes. And I, it's all over. You can't miss this stuff on Facebook. It's one thing that my government is okay with transgender stuff going on, but I have a question as to why transgender people want to force this on children. Here's a picture. I hesitated, but there's a picture. Now, let me ask you what you think would happen if the teachers secretly started teaching the gospel and baptizing the children without telling their parents. Man, you'd be national news quick. You'd be fired quickly. But my question is, why do they want to do this to children? Let me show you what Jesus said. He said, it would be better for that person to be thrown into the sea with a millstone. Now, let me help you, because you don't know what a millstone is, probably. A millstone would grind grain, and it would stand about this high, and it would be about this thick. It's a wheel, and an ox would pull it around and grind, grind up the grain. Weighs a couple thousand pounds. He said, it would be better. The best thing that could happen to you would be to have a 2,000 pound block hung around your neck and to be thrown into the sea. That's the best thing that could happen to you if you cause one of my little children to sin. If you hurt one of my kids, born or unborn, it would be better for you to have that millstone than what's going to happen to you when you step into eternity. Guys, that's the truth. That's Jesus' words. You don't have to like it. 
I'm just telling you, that's what it said. Jesus takes this stuff very seriously. And he's the one in charge of the stairway. First John chapter 2. Verse 26, he said, I'm writing these things to you those about those who are trying to lead you astray. It's everywhere, isn't it? Again, it's in the church, it's in the world, it's in our school system. Well, it must be okay because this guy said it, this professor said it, it's printed in this book. I saw it on TV. It must be okay. Maybe you ought to get out the other book just to check things out. But secondly, Jacob learned... That there's a God worthy of worship. What does he do when he wakes up? He says, surely I have been in the house of God. All right, now let's have a little fun here. Because Jacob's laying on a rock. There's nothing there. He's laying on top of a rock. But it is the place where Melchizedek had built that temple a thousand years before. And it's also the place where Solomon will build the temple of God. He's sitting on the place where the house of God will be. And God makes this statement to Jacob. He said, Jacob, I will prove to you that I am the living God because I am going to bring all of your people home from the north, the south, the east, and the west. There's one problem. When the promise was given to Abraham, we had Abraham. One, work with me, one. Then they, Abraham and Sarah had a kid. They had one. We have Isaac. We're not really killing it with multiplication here, are we? Isaac has a child. Well, he has two, but Esau sells his birthright. We have Jacob. And his promise is, I'll bring the people back from the north, south, the east, and the west. That prophecy started being fulfilled in 1901 when the first Jewish people came back to the land of Israel. They went to a beach. There was nothing there, just sand. And they started what we know today as Tel Aviv. It means the new city. And Tel Aviv looks like Beersheba. In 1901, there was nothing there but sand. There was, there was no plants. There was no life, no nothing. And God started bringing his people back. And I can tell you that today, there are flights almost every single day of Jewish people being repatriated back to Israel. From Africa, from Europe, from Asia. People that the Jewish people would call the diaspora. People who are scattered out across the world because of Hitler, because of Nebuchadnezzar, uh, you name it. And they're bringing people back to Israel. God is fulfilling the promise that he made to Jacob 4,000 years ago that he would bring his people home. And this is the spot. Jacob says, this is it. Again, do I think Jacob knew this was the crucifixion spot? Does he even know about a crucifixion? Does he understand the Messiah? Does he understand Solomon's temple that's coming? I'm not sure that he understands anything, but he knows this. He says, this is an awesome place. And I got to worship. So he set up the rock and he pours oil on it. Oil would have been purity, sacrifice, anointing, expensive, all of the above. But he was making a statement that God, you are worthy of my worship. So first of all, he lowered the stairway. You got to choose. 
You get to choose whether you want to go to heaven or to hell. If you're online and you're watching, you hit that button, I've decided people will interact with you. If you're in the room, you come up here. Uh, six o'clock tonight, we will be at Tom Rennick Park for, uh, for baptisms. If you need to accept Christ, need to be baptized, come up there. Uh, had a lady last night, or a young lady, 15-year-old girl, who had been watching online. She hit that button, accepted Christ. She came in yesterday for the first time. First time she was in the building. She came in, accepted Christ, and Carrie Graham baptized her last night. It was a very special moment. But as Robert Plant said, it comes down to two roads, and at some point, you've got to make a choice. And Jesus said, the narrow road leads to life. So when you see the rest of the world going one way, what's that tell you? You and I need to be going the other direction. You don't even have to know what God's word said. Just watch the world and whatever they're doing, you do the opposite. You'll be in the right place. All right. So you get to choose which way you're going. You get to choose to worship. Well, what does worship look like? Because God's worthy. When's the last time you went, you know what, God, you, you're just awesome. And because of that, you're worthy of my time, my singing, my clapping, my money, my energy. You are worthy of all that I have. That's what worship is supposed to be, not just a, a, a half hour where we come together and listen to other people. It is meant to be a time when we are pouring ourselves out to God. Hebrews 10.25 says, don't give up meeting together. If you're Listen, if you're watching online, I'm thrilled that you're watching online, but... Unless you're traveling or you're sick, you need to get into a local body. If it's here, great. If you live in Washington State or New York or find a church, you can still do this. But there's power in being together, isn't there, church? There is power. There is power watching other men. Hey, I'm not the only father fighting for my kids. I'm not the only dad getting getting his kids here to church. I'm I'm not the only single person worshiping Jesus. There's all these people and and we all get to be encouraged by each other. Moses wrote it this way in Exodus. He said, "Who among the gods, the false gods is like you, O Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders?" Now that's just after the ten plagues and the opening up of the Red Sea. Moses hasn't seen the cross. Moses hasn't seen what God has done for all of us. But he knew that he needed to worship. And then the last part. He is a God worthy of obedience. Because Jacob makes this statement. Jacob said, listen, I'm going to go ahead and do what I'm supposed to do. Dad sent me to go get a wife. I'm going to go do that. And he said, if you help me. And you bring me back safely. He said, you'll be my God. I'll follow you faithfully. And I'll give you 10% of everything I have. Now that number didn't come out of the air. Because what Jacob is saying is the same thing that Abraham said. The same thing that Isaac said. When he decided to give 10%, he's saying, I know you really are the true God. And I will trust you with to make my 90% work. He's a God who works through obedience. David, David even said, God said through David, he said that I desire obedience rather than sacrifice. Because there are times when it's not hard to write a check. But it's hard to be obedient to what God said. Here, here's a check, leave me alone. 
But God's saying, no, Joe, we got to work on this part of you. And you writing a check won't fix that. Joe, we gotta, we've got to change that behavior in you. We've got to stop that. We've got to start this. And no outward expression is going to do that. That's something that only you and I can work on. And Joe, you're going to have to decide to be obedient. You, read, you can't hardly read a verse in the Bible where you don't go, okay, I've got to stop this. All right, I have to start this. And Jacob learned obedience. He said, God, you go with me. And from here on out, I'll do things your way. You'll get 10% of everything and we'll do it all your way. Second John 1, 6 says, and this is love that we walk in, say it, obedience. This is love that we walk in obedience, obedience to his commands. As you have heard from the beginning, his command is that you walk in love. Let me finish with this quote. It's not pretty, but I think it needs to be said. John MacArthur is usually pretty much in your face. If you listen to John MacArthur preach out in Southern California. Um, But he makes a good point about where the church is today. And so I'm going to finish with this and let you chew on this. The church has been redesigned into making sinners comfortable. Not to terrify them. God does not love everyone unconditionally. Sinners need to be terrified. So, Father, I don't know who needs what. Does somebody need to be terrified and changing so they don't go to hell? Because there's only two roads. And there comes a time to choose. Are there others that are struggling with the worship side or the obedience side of serving and giving and forgiving? Maybe some just struggle with trusting your word and you just unfold it in front of us. So God, look, I don't know. Online, here in this room, I have no idea. I can't be your Holy Spirit. I don't know who needs to do what. But I know that you are so good that you'll speak it to each individual heart and mind. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.